Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. And then he comes over and gets a towel and says, I need to wipe off all these future babies. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. All right, everybody, welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson from CinemaSins, joined as always by the voice of CinemaSins, Jeremy Scott. Yowza. Yowza. <clears throat> and from Music Video Sins, Barrett Share. Zoom. Hey, remember when uh, Axl Rose used to end all of the songs with something like "Yowza"? Like he would always he would go on his vocal tangents. He's like, "Hey, yowza!" Well, that's how always outlast everybody else. That's how half of their songs got made was him doing something (laughs) fucked up and weird. Hey, let's turn that into a song. Um, Um, you guys got good, uh, good and pissed off about something lately? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. I'm as mad as hell. You've never seen me very upset. You can. <laughs> I was only going out of obligation because Barrett pointed at me, but then I realized he might as well have been pointing at you. Because... I was pointing at anybody. <laughs> yeah. Um, past past few weeks, I've been doing more Uber Eats than normal. Um. Mm. And mm-hmm. part of it is because I'm very tired of what I prepare for myself every day. Uh, another part of it is just supporting restaurants and, and supporting the people out there who are, you know, uh, uh, delivering food to us and everything. And, uh, and so I started doing it and I, I like the service pretty, pretty well. Uh, you know, I, I haven't, there's been from actual drivers. I think there's one time where they delivered food to my neighbor and then, you know, didn't deliver it to me personally or whatever. Uh, but there's this, there's this one weird thing that I can't seem to get a success rate on. And I don't know whose problem it is. I don't know if it's the restaurant. Don't know if it's the driver. Don't know if it's both. (laughs) Sometimes when I'm ordering an Uber Eats, I'm like, I'd like to have a dessert with this meal. I don't do it all the time, but I'd like to have to have a dessert for some reason. I have about a 30% success rate in getting that dessert. 30% success. Yes. Hmm. Wow. It's wow. not good. Hmm. It's not good. <laughs> so I don't understand what the, the deal is. Like, I understand that maybe the restaurant gets the order and they're like, well, we'll make the dessert later because it's, you know, usually cold. Um, and, and then they just end up not doing it. And the Uber driver comes in and, and like sees the bag for the person that they're uh, delivering for. And they just take it and just go, don't even bother to see if there's other items. Um, or, you know, it could be one of those things where I, I don't know. I don't know what the, what the deal is, but I just never get it. What I don't understand now to Uber eats credit. If you say I didn't get an item, you just say, I didn't get it. And it refunds you. 
Hmm. I mean, that's uh, right now that's touch and go. Cause I've had something, I refunded something last night and I still haven't seen anything that proves that I've gotten my money back yet on it. And these desserts are usually like really, really expensive too, considering what they're, you know, six, $7 for a fucking yeah. brownie or some shit. <laughs> and, 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 um, and so, yeah, I don't know what the deal is. I don't know what the deal is there. Why am I not getting it? Whose fault is it? And if there is an issue with, if there's an issue where you can't prepare the dessert for some reason because it's cold or because you just weren't thinking about it at the time or whatever, why even bother offering the dessert? I think there's some, I think there's some uh, uh, restaurants that just go ahead and say sold out on all their dessert stuff because they, they know that it's going to be impossible for them to, 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 to send it but yeah man i have zero i don't know what it, what the deal is zero percent you know it's it's uh it's every once in a while i get it and that's it what if your uber eats driver is uber eating your dessert <laughs> that is a possibility as well i'll be honest i have not yet trusted an uber eats service or any of them any food delivery service other than the standard pizza or Jimmy John's then because those, I think I've said this before because those people are employees of the food maker. So if mm-hmm. something is wrong, I can go to the food maker Domino's mm-hmm. and say, Hey, your, your driver fucked up my pizza. Whereas if it's Uber eats, I always feel like I could go to Uber eats and say, well, I didn't get my pizza or it's fucked up. But then is it the driver's fault or did the pizza place fuck it up? And I just feel like there's too many variables there. Yeah. And also maybe sure. they eat your stuff. Yeah, for sure. There's a uh, there's there's definitely too many uh, cooks in the kitchen when it comes to getting you your food. There's what? no doubt about that. You really um, think they're eating your shit? No, no, I, nobody's eating I, their. Shit. No, I don't think that. But no, I'm talking to Jeremy. I think the worst in people. <laughs> I've seen one too many of those viral. I'm sure exception to the rule things of like. There was one of like a dude leaning out a window in New York and down in the alley, there was an Uber Eats driver who was literally taking bites out of every dish and then putting the packages back together. Yeah, see, I'm sure that's the exception to the rule. I mean it, but I'm too terrified. I don't trust people. And Hmm. uh, but also your story reminded me of something Uh, back when you and I were working at Hollywood 27. I lived over in Antioch Mm -hmm. um, and uh uh, I used to eat very bad food and I used to eat <laughs> fast food and I used to go mm-hmm. to Arby's and yeah, listen, everyone who sells French fries should sell cheese dipping sauce for those French fries. Um, <laughs> they do it at Culver's and they do it at Arby's only every time I would go through the drive through and order, you know, two sandwiches of curly fries and a cheese dipping sauce, I'd get home and I wouldn't get the fucking cheese dipping sauce. Mm. Yeah. And so I called after the third time this happened, I called and talked to the manager and he was like, I'm really sorry. If you come on down here, I'll give you, you know, your entire meal, you know, again with the cheese sauce. And I was like, I appreciate that. But I, I don't want to, I don't want to drive all the way back down to you. I already made that trip. If you're going to put a price tag next to an item on your menu board and I order it, it ought to be in the bag. It's not something mm-hmm. that you should forget, like ketchup or something, right? You right. charge me money for it. And and ever since then, after that, uh, I always got the cheese. I feel like the yeah. message was received and he went, 
and put a sticky note somewhere and said, don't forget the cheese sauce. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes I, I might not, I might've been a little angrier than I should have been, but you know, Jesus. You know what you <laughs> did? You changed the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the word hero is thrown out there a little too much, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. but you know, sometimes you got to call it what it is. That's right. That's right. I'm sure there are other people that went through there after me who ordered it and got their cheese sauce and they never knew who to thank. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it me. Um, but, uh, I mean, yes, I, I totally understand, uh, Jeremy's reticence to, uh, use services like these because exactly what he's talking about at the same time uh i ain't not right now gonna go to a restaurant and just you know i could but i'm not going to uh go to a restaurant and pick up an order or anything like that for now i mean in a couple of weeks i might but um but uh it's uh it's just one of those things and i just recently started this i've probably done it now I mean, it's probably been a month but like you know, spaced, it started off slow and then it was, you know, I started, started doing it a lot recently, but yeah, it's just, it comes down to the point where you're just like, all right, I won't order dessert anymore. I I understand. I get that you can't, you can't do it for some reason. There's something that's a mental block somewhere in this whole thing. Um, so anyway, yeah, I, uh, this it's, 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 it's nothing that I'm like super angry about. I just want to know why is it so hard to get the, so my knowledge of uh, the restaurant industry is basically limited to food programming and a few buddies of mine that are chefs or uh, food service operators. But if I recall, like it, it, there is a sequence to firing the dishes and dessert of course is always last. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, it, it probably is exactly what you, you mentioned. Like they make the main, or they make the appetizer first, uh, everything hot and ready to go is packaged. And then either they forget later on the ticket because they're used to firing it at a certain point in the meal for each table. Um, or yeah, it could be that they just pick it up <laughs> and get it off before they actually fire it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's, yeah. that is interesting. I'd never really thought about that because I don't typically get desserts, but it should be over 30%. Yeah, I mean, all the, and yeah. and the other reason uh, that it's it's not the best type of service to use is there are so many service fees and so many different little additional costs that yeah. they throw in there. And I tip well. Um, it's just that uh, they throw in that you know dollar forty nine for a service fee, and then there's a delivery fee if they're busy. Um, there's all sorts of little <laughs> things that they throw in that. You know, let's let's face it. The delivery fee is a bunch of bullshit that's it that tries to dissuade you from actually uh, using their service because they're like there's some restaurants that are or it's not it may not be the restaurant it's Uber that's making this delivery fee the price. Like there's some that are like fourteen ninety five for a delivery fee. Or the fuck. Like that. And I'm like, you're basically saying don't go to this restaurant, right? Yeah, I mean, no nobody, kidding. That's a whole gonna, extra meal. <laughs> nobody's going to pay that, so. You're basically just saying, and don't don't go here. <laughs> um, you know, there there so many restaurants now, um, at least in my area, are are doing these quick takeout racks, right? And my wife and I will do like Jersey Mike's probably once a week, um, and they had a table just inside the door, got all the bags with the names and the receipts, 
And uh, there are three or four places that do this. Uh, Jersey Mike's is just one example. And we tip well because we understand the risk they're taking by going to work every day. But I was asking my wife yesterday, do you think they know us? Like, you think they, they see our name every week? And I'm sure we tip more than the average person. You know, do you think we're like digital regulars at Jersey Mike's? <laughs> Like they don't know what we look like, but they know our names and like they make our sandwiches extra good or something. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I guarantee I they that was interesting. Because yeah. uh, particularly Jersey Mike's, they have usually like a pretty close knit. Like I always see the same people working there yeah, every same. time I go over there. And yeah. it used to piss me off because they would want to chat every time I went in there because I also <laughs> go in about once a week. And I'm like, dude, I'm here for a sandwich. I don't need to know about the Seahawks or like, like and how your grandmother's doing. I hope she's doing well. There's a, yeah, there's a big Seahawks fan. <laughs> you know, there was one thing that, that uh, upset me about Jersey Mike's. Uh, I used to go to the one that was close to Hollywood 27 all the time. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And, um, and I used to get this one sandwich and I would get them to put it on the, uh, the grill uh, and heat it up and everything. I guess it was a, ostensibly oh, a, cold, a cold sandwich. That I would get on and put it, they'd put it on the, uh, whatever the grill. There was one day I walked in and I was like, and yeah, and I could have put it on the grill. And they said, Oh no, we can't do that anymore. Fuck. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, um, why, why can't you do it anymore? <laughs> and they were said something, to, I guess they, they're trying to imply that it fucks their ovens up or it fucks something up or something like that. And I was like, okay, I guess I just won't come here anymore. I just, I, the, that that particular sandwich you want what you want mm. um and that that it being grilled that way was always like the the big uh, uh you know selling point for that even though the sandwich itself is good cold it's so much better hot and um <laughs> and it's like well you can't you i mean why would you have an edict like that where the customer <laughs> you know isn't right ever, you know, <laughs> like, oh, well, you know, it uh, fucks up or what, you know, it doesn't. Yeah. Like <sighs> man at Jersey Mike's at my old house. Um, it was not, a, that was not a happy place, by the way. Uh, <laughs> no one working there was happy. And um, my wife likes to get uh, cucumbers and green onion or green pepper on the mm. sandwich. Now they have that. It's just not on display at the at the station. You can see where they make your sandwich. It's over in the case with the meat. But almost every time I would ask for it, the worker would be like, <sighs> and then walk over to the cold. Like, oh, <laughs> well, I need to take three extra feet. steps. You selfish bastard! <laughs> Don't put yeah. it in the case and offer it if you're not I mean, going to give it to me. Come on, come on, Mike. <laughs> this has turned into like uh, all food related um, down. You, yeah, I'm going to pivot my rant. I was going to rant about one thing, but I blew that wad in the pre-show, and I'm going to talk about <laughs> something else that's bothering me a little bit. And I'm I'm going to say outright, the, the the guy in question here is no hero. All right, so it it when the Masters starts every year, they they used to have Gary Player and uh, Jack Nicklaus and Arnold Palmer would all tee off ceremonially. They're all old. The ball doesn't go very far. It's not about that. It's a ceremony mm. thing. The Masters is all about ceremony. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and lately they've been having, uh, I think Arnold Palmer died, right? Yeah, he did. Yeah. And so Lee Elder, uh, who was the first black member of the masters, uh, or of Augusta national, um, has been taking his place and he, this year is too old to, e- to even swing. He was in a wheelchair and he stood up 
while the chairman of the masters read a nice little thing about Lee Elder and his ceremonial tee shot, which was metaphorical. And in one of the shots, Gary Player's son holds up a sleeve of golf balls like this, about breast level. And it's apparently a company he's affiliated with, uh, Encore Golf Balls or something. And the headlines for a few days that I saw, I'm a very big fan of golf, if you haven't figured out. I watch a lot of fucking golf. The headlines (laughs) were all, did Gary Player's son uh, try to do viral marketing with the golf ball sleeve? That was the headline, and I saw it in several places. This morning, the headline is, Gary Player's son has been banished from Augusta National for life. Um, Now, this is not a good person. All right. This is a guy who two years ago was busted for a scam where he was trying to take money from people claiming he had housing for them during the Masters tournament. Um, But he didn't. I haven't dove into that. I'm just saying even his brother came out today and said, this dude's embarrassing to our family. Mm -hmm. Um, The timing is not good. Right. When we're honoring the first black member of Augusta National, uh, that is not the time to hold up a sleeve of golf balls and advertise i get it i just i i just want to point out the entire fucking tournament is populated with people who are advertising with their hats and their balls and their clubs and their bags and their shirts and we have no problem with it so there's a little hypocrisy here um you know even in the ceremony even in the big finish you know, Matsuyama's wearing a Srixon hat. And I guarantee you that that company's executives were overjoyed how oh, much yeah. screen time their logo got in a very commercial dollars and cents kind of way. And I just think I've been to the Masters. I think the ceremonial stuff is awesome and it largely makes for a cool event. But I think in many ways, they're just a little too stuffy for their own fucking good. And mm-hmm. I, you ban that guy for life if you want. He had bad timing, but you, you turn a blind eye to all kinds of on-camera marketing, stealth or otherwise. Um, and, you know, it's just a little just a little shady to me. So. Well, and, and, and not exactly related to your rant about the, uh, the golf balls, but you're talking about how the masters are stuffy and everything. Like the, uh, they have control over everything about how that, how that event gets broadcast and everything. And it makes it confusing and weird for a lot of people who want to watch it. Like it's, it's like, Oh, well we've got it on Paramount plus for the morning, but uh, it'll be on CBS in the afternoon. And you know, for a fact, CBS wants to play that whole thing. Um, They're not sitting there going, boy, I really wish we could play, you know, young and the restless again or whatever. They're doing that. Um, they, they just, uh, I, you know, the, I don't understand. I've never understood that kind of control. Like it's almost like they're doing it just because they can, and it's not really have anything to do with their product whatsoever or, or anything. It's just that they love having that power to do that. Yeah. Um, mm. and, uh, cause there is no, that makes no sense. You're going to lose money by doing that. They don't and see, they so, don't even care. You remember when that, prominent lawyer woman 10 years ago or so 
tried to cancel the Masters because they didn't have a female member at Augusta National. Right. And she went after the sponsors. And so before even any sponsors could pull out, Augusta National was just like, fuck it. We'll do it without sponsors. And they did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they don't need money, man. They don't need any money. Yeah, they don't need money. But uh, I'm, I'm sure that there are a few people on their board who are like, God damn it. <laughs> why do we have why do we have to be like this because of three assholes over here who want to do this <sighs> yeah it's crazy it's crazy that's interesting i hadn't heard any of that stuff so that was brand new information uh did not realize scary player even had a son but mm. he's got two at least and one is embarrassed uh-huh. of the other <laughs> <laughs> uh i have a happy rant and it'll be oh, very nice. quick because mm. it, it, it's almost a recommend, uh, but I wanted to put it in rants because I think it, it goes a little bit deeper. Uh, my family and I have been watching a show called Black Lightning uh, recently. Um, mm. I don't hear this show being talked about, uh, certainly not as much as the other CWDC shows uh, like Arrow and Flash and Supergirl and this Lois and Clark uh, inversion, Superman and Lois. Um and I think it's because they they usually have crossover events, right? They have the crisis on infinite earths and, and things like that. Uh, Black Lightning is in season four, I believe, right now. Uh, and my son has been wanting to watch it for years, but uh, not years, but for a long time. And my wife said that it was uh, too violent for him. So I was like, oh, let's all watch it as a family and we'll, we'll see. Man, the show is, it's not addictive in a regular superhero show way. Um it's addictive because it shows a completely different side of these superhero stories. It's almost an entirely African-American uh, cast. Uh, it is a superhero that I didn't know anything about, Black Lightning, uh, and his daughters both have superpowers. Uh, one is Thunder and one is Lightning. Um, but Jefferson Pierce is the main guy that's Black Lightning. He is the principal of the school, and he is out to subvert all the stereotypes of young, angry black men. Um, there is drug use. There is gang violence. Um, there's some heavy shit in here. Uh, the uh, the younger daughter smokes weed a lot, but it's not a thing. It's not a thing on that show. Like she, she'll make a crack. Like man, I need to smoke less weed. And it's not like the oh. show is impugning her for doing. <laughs> She's a regular 17-year-old, and regular 17-year-olds smoke weed. And so it's a, it's a very different look on this sort of societal impact and uh, as it dovetails into the, the superhero stuff. And I like it, man. I like it when shows like this, serial stuff like this, goes deeper than the average superhero drama. Uh, now, to its credit, Arrow did this uh, when it came to drug addiction, when it came to relationships, when it came to family. Um, it was very complicated. It wasn't just a regular shoot 'em up, you know, fire an arrow into his neck uh, type of show. Uh, and Black Lightning is exactly like that, except it, it's also a standalone. It doesn't rely on cheap crossovers. Supergirl doesn't fly in and be like, hey, BL, you want some help? And then like fucking and, and like fly off. <laughs> And he's like, thanks, Supergirl. No, it's 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 on its own time. It's also got one of the best villains uh, ever. This guy, um, Marvin Jones, the uh, third, who is albino, um, but terrifying. Uh, he plays a, a 
character called Tobias Whale. And anyway, I'd like to recommend this and, and rant about how shows like these are trying to subvert superhero tropes and story tropes and really showing you uh, a, a black perspective uh, from the ground up. It's awesome. Uh, so, yeah, that's my happy rant. Uh, I've been trying to talk about that show for a long time and I always forget. Uh, but we're still watching it, man. It's on Netflix and then CW uh, airing live. So good stuff. All right. Awesome. Right on. Uh, right on. It, it, it becomes it becomes like, you know, a, a prelude to our recommends and warns and everything. A like pre-rec and a warn. Yeah, exactly. Our main topic today is... Which director would you like to sit down and watch a movie with? Who do you think might give you some insight and be a great conversationalist during that movie and like get, you know, get really down deep into all your favorite movies and everything. Uh, I don't know what our criteria is. I think we all have maybe some different criteria for what I think we do we have would, slightly different criteria. Yeah. Yeah. For who we'd want to, uh, to watch a movie with and why uh so it'll be an interesting uh exercise i think so uh who wants to start us off well i uh i dreamt this up um and so uh, i'll go first and my criteria was um more trying to match a modern director with something stylistically from the past that i would like their insight on because of a loose connection in tone or style. So Edgar Wright, to begin with, um, mm -hmm. is a very unique filmmaker and he's a very unique style. Um, a lot uh, of, a lot of it is in editing um, <clears throat> movement of the camera. It's very whimsical, um, manic at times, comic, uh, and so, you know, my first answer would be, I would like to sit down with Edgar Wright and watch maybe something like Buster Keaton or Charlie mm. Chaplin, mm. Um, the kind of stuff that I would maybe guess he would cite as an influence. I don't really know. I haven't read too much about him. I'm just going on his style. Um, mm. and I feel like, uh, even if it's not something that was an influence, uh, I would like to hear his input. Uh, I would like to see the moments that he calls out that aren't necessarily the most famous ones you've seen um, where something is being done that I didn't notice. Um, so that was sort of my criteria. And I guess we can round Robin it a bit, but that was my first answer. I'd like to see what he has to say about that kind of stuff. That'd be yeah, awesome. I mean, that would be fascinating. <laughs> I think, I think any of these like uh, cinephile type guys would be, great to sit down with that's the reason why i put tarantino at the top now oh, yeah. as an as an actual uh like guest at your house watching a movie you may not actually ever get to see the movie because because he's, <laughs> he's going to be sitting there talking about all these different things that are in this movie man and blah blah, blah. <laughs> um one thing about tarantino that i've always like this could this is this is one of those questions that you can veer off into a whole bunch of other different things. I've always wanted to see Tarantino do a a, uh, a popular type movie. Like what would when it, when there was talks about Tarantino doing a Star Trek, I was like, "Fuck yeah, let's see what his Star Trek looks like." Mm -hmm. You know, um, and you know that never got off the ground, and I don't think it'll ever will. But uh, you know, and <laughs> we but as a as a 
movie guest, I want to hear what he has to say about movies that are are popular, well known. Because every mm. time you hear about Tarantino, he's like going off on some nineteen fifty seven you know, uh, exploitation flick or something yeah. like that. And just sitting there just going, all right. Yeah, totally. I can see why that totally was an influence on Pulp Fiction somehow. I, you know, <laughs> um, I want to, I want to be able to watch something like Jurassic Park with Quentin Tarantino. Oh yeah. Oh man. Yeah. And I want him, I want him to be able to dissect that movie. Maybe, I mean, maybe he hates that movie. I I doubt it, but like, maybe he hates it, but I want to, I want to kind of like, I just want to hear what he has to say during a big production. Uh, anytime he mentions, uh, big movies, it's always in reference to his own work a lot of times. So it's like, uh, like, uh, you know, I was, uh, I was up for Pulp Fiction and Forrest Gump, you know, it was going to be the movie that, that year, blah, blah, blah. And he doesn't say anything about Forrest Gump whatsoever, yeah. which is what I want to hear. I that would be hilarious. Right. <laughs> I want to hear his comments on that. I mean, just hearing John Waters talk about Forrest Gump. I mean, it's, as, it was as simple as, uh, you know, him saying like, uh, he was he was saying, man, I, I, there's a lot of people I know who's like, I just can't watch your movies. They're just, oh, they're just so, they're so uh, this and that or whatever. And he's like, well, that's perfectly fine. I want, I, that's what happened when I started watching Forrest Gump. And I pressed stop 15 minutes into it. <laughs> so hearing what, hearing what Tarantino has to say about these kind of movies and everything, I think would be valuable, would be very fun. Um, and especially since... I know Tarantino likes the weed. He would, you know, we, we could smoke some weed, watch Jurassic Park together. It doesn't have to be Jurassic Park, but I think that would be an excellent movie to watch with him. Sure. And, well, yeah. and, and, and have, have deep conversations about film while we're smoking weed. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, speaking of weed, uh, oh, noted, right. noted stoner uh, Jordan Peele <clears throat> would be so much fun to uh watch a movie with it's this immediately came to mind because he's so smart he's so smart about filmmaking and his comedy every time i watch a key and peel skit which he wrote a lot of those i don't know what the percentages were but he wrote a lot of them there's always some different layer to it like there's always a stinger at the end of the skits that take it in a completely different direction which i Mm. totally appreciate you know it's it's setting you up for one thing, and then all of a sudden, like it, it moves to something else. And he's so smart about that that I would love to watch like a satire with him, um, classic satire like Doctor Strangelove, or mm. more modern satire like Death of Stalin. I think mm-hmm. it would be hilarious mm. to watch with him because you you can tell he gets things. I bet he's got a terrific laugh, uh, and <laughs> I bet he'd just be super fun. And super, especially with something like Dr. Strangelove, where he'd be like, yes, yes, here's here's what Kubrick did uh, that I would like to do. Or, you know, this is how you set up a joke. Uh, this is how you do a proper pratfall, that kind of thing. I think that would just be awesome uh, to just sit down with him for two, three hours and shoot the shit about uh, some smart, funny movies. So oh, that's sure. my pick. I nice. always thought. I always thought that, uh, you know, uh, sitting next to somebody who's really, really, um, 
has made a living making comedies, you know, it's always, uh, it's a, it's, it's one of those, uh, I don't know. It's, um, some sort of ism. I can't remember what the word is right now, but, um, to say that it, it, it a joke is not funny when you explain it and everything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. However, explaining jokes is very interesting, uh, yeah. which is one thing that people leave out of that whole thing. Um, uh, the, it's, it's like, yes, it will not make you laugh if somebody has to go, okay, well, here's the basis for this and blah, 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 blah. But people who really think about comedy knows that there's a whole bunch of different uh, nuances to it that make certain things funny. And um, that's why it was, uh, you know, it was real fun. Uh, we didn't get to go in depth, but um, when the cracked people came out here, I know that those people sit there and think about what makes something funny. Sometimes it's just taking a word out of something or somehow sometimes it's just like a, you know, like let's, you know, there's, there's a lot of different little nuances to all that. So like watching comedies with a comedy person would be amazing. Yeah. 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 yeah it's like totally. diagramming a sentence to me. Like I, I was always fascinated in diagramming sentences mm-hmm. uh, because it, it, you figured out what clause goes where and how they interact and all that stuff. That's the same thing about diving into uh, the, uh, the birth of a joke or mm-hmm. the, the guts of a joke is yeah. Okay. It, it probably makes the joke you're studying unfunny, but it also breaks down why it's funny and you can use that for, for different things later on. Mm-hmm. And that, that yeah. does appeal to me. I totally agree. You guys know um, the Shazam director, is it David Sandberg? Mm-hmm. Um, he has done a couple of video essays. Um, of course, we referenced one in our Sins video for Shazam because he had done an imitation of our voice <laughs> in explaining why the kids were wearing coats, um, <clears throat> among other things. Well, he put another one out recently, just a day or two ago. It was outstanding about um, <clears throat> setups and uh oneers and when um you can take a one shot and turn it into your second setup and he used uh blah, uh what lies beneath and talking <laughs> about how Zemeckis is really good at taking these one shots that go through a house and then turn and settle and they end up being you know the face shot over the shoulder of one character. And then there's only one other setup to hear. Um, that guy knows his shit. And I think it's fascinating that there, I feel like there are two kinds of directors, right? People like that, like, and like, you know, people who, who are diagramming the sentence, so to speak, when they're directing, mm-hmm. I'm going to put mm-hmm. this here because of this reason and this reason, and it's going to look good because of this. And then I feel like there's another subset of directors who are like, I'm going to put the camera here because that's where I want it. they they were told and they were told in film school you need to start with a wide shot then you need to have a medium shot then you need to do your close-ups and then that's what they do and then they they move on yeah yeah um (laughs) so uh i have at least one more we're gonna do another round sure Sure. i am choosing uh david ayer um Mm, now he is mm, most recently known for suicide squad and bright, uh, which were not very well received. Um, uh, prior to that, he directed um, in this order: Harsh Times, which is a Christian Bale movie I really like, 
Street Kings, which has uh, Neo in it. Which is uh, the same movie. End, <laughs> as Neo end, in it. end of Watch. <laughs> um, and then a movie called Sabotage. And then Fury, that Brad Pitt, Shia LaBeouf tank movie. Oh, um, he, also, he directed he also, that? Yes. And he also wrote Training Day, Dark Blue, and SWAT. So I feel like his his lane uh, is gritty cop crime stuff, right? For the most part, that's where even Suicide Squad uh, and Bright even could be classified in that genre. And mm. so I want to sit down and watch something that is from that genre before his time. So my, my first thoughts, not going too far back, was Copland. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I thought if we go back further, maybe Bad Lieutenant or maybe even French Connection would be yeah. something that would be interesting Bad to Lieutenant. get. Lieutenant, that'd be crazy. <laughs> I just feel like, you know, he's drawn to these, you know, these morally, you know, gray or dark um, cop hero characters and, and that world and what that does to being, a you know, what that does to a person being a, a cop in you know, where every day your life is on the line, at least in end of watch, it felt that way. Um, so I, I would like to see, you know, a movie like, I think maybe the French connection would be the pick ultimately mm-hmm. and to see yeah. what, again, uh, you know, I think I have my own cliche favorite moments or insights. I want to, I want to hear what somebody with knowledge and experience in making movies, you know, has to say about the moments I overlook in something mm-hmm. like the French Connection. That's true. But also, it would be awesome to hear his feedback on the car chase. <laughs> like, yeah. how yeah. to position the cameras and, like, how to get the angles, how yeah. fast to go in the car, that kind of thing. That would be fucking yeah. dope. Well, and especially since they didn't have any permits to do that scene. Yeah. <laughs> they just they just did it. Um, uh, yeah, man. And you could throw the Dirty Harry movies in there. Oh, yeah. Of, yeah. You know you know it would it would definitely be fun to pick his brain on all those for sure and and uh and uh see which ones were the ones that really got him into that that sort of like this is what i want to do when i make movies too yeah yeah um uh have you guys ever seen the it's a, it's i think it's basically a a long commercial uh that martin scorsese did uh, in 2007 called the key to reserva um, where he is hmm. emulating a Hitchcock film. Um, I would, I would recommend this by the way. Uh, I'm sure you can just find it online. No problem. Hmm. The key to reserva uh, it starts off with him <laughs> um, talking to some, somebody who I think is supposed to be a film historian or, or something like that. And he's like, this is some long lost, script that hitchcock wanted to do and we're going to do it here and it, you know it ends up just being a big long commercial for like some i think it's wine or something like that <laughs> uh, however scorsese goes through this this thing and has a lot of like i mean it's a it, the mood that it is shot like a hitchcock movie all the way through uh very well uh very well like uh, imagined and everything and it's got all sorts of like uh uh, inside jokes and and things to other Hitchcock movies throughout the throughout the thing. So, watching a movie with Martin Scorsese, especially Hitchcock films, a lot of these older classics that I know he that's what Scorsese sort of uh, bases his whole uh, his whole thing on because he's he's always been that you know kind of guy. I think he was uh, 
one of the people who brought uh, what was that was it the red shoes is that what it was called he was one of the people who came who, who restored uh that movie the red shoes uh which is a really good movie by the way um and he he's always been a champion of this but watching hitchcock films with scorsese would be incredible especially considering all the work that you see that in this the key to reserva where he's he's emulating things and a lot of times you're sitting there watching it and you go how do you know to shoot the movie in this particular way to make it look so hitchcocky um (laughs) because there's there's some there's so many like little shots and they're like yeah that's exactly how hitchcock would have done this shit yeah yeah. and uh and 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 knowing the exact depth of field and like where to put the camera and what the actors are doing and everything um it's funny watching the key to reserver in 2007 i didn't know who michael stuhlbarg was really didn't know who christopher denham was uh, you know seeing and simon baker is in this too oh Um, well uh watching watching it and i was i watched it recently because a friend of mine emailed it to me i was like oh yeah i totally forgot about that uh but yeah i I think that would be fun uh scorsese and hitchcock films yeah Yeah, man good call that's uh that's a student of film not Mm. content that's right student of flim that's right student (laughs) of flim (laughs) flim i tell you what man i'd like to uh have an excellent action director watch an excellent action movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was thinking about this, uh, you know, female directors uh, specifically uh, that were excellent at action sequences. And Catherine Bigelow was the first one that popped into my mind. Yes, uh, You cannot get more tense action, except maybe being in the real life one, but uh, the, the uh, Osama bin Laden raid in zero dark 30. Mm-hmm. Uh you can't get more intense dramatic action than 90% of the Hurt Locker. <laughs> oh my God. No kidding. <laughs> Jesus. So I think it would be outstanding to watch something like John, John Wick three in particular was one of my favorite movie going <laughs> experiences of all time because I was yeah. with you guys and our friend yeah. Patrick and to watch that movie and those stunts and those action sequences with a director that does thoughtful action and to see if she gets the same delight as I do <laughs> watching mm-hmm. that whole thing. Mm-hmm. And she could break down like, I can't believe they used that or they went with that angle or they did that. Man, that would be so fucking cool because you would get mm-hmm. the enjoyment of watching the movie. But then you would get the insight on like, you know, this is a pretty spectacular stunt or this stunt Actually, it looks a little harder than it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe it's just like, you know, all that horse kicking shit is, three, is CGI anyway. So that's all bullshit. Uh, but uh, I think that'd be fun as hell. And Catherine Bigelow should be talked about as, you know, the, the, the world's best action directors. Um, she just puts a lot more thought into her films, specifically Hurt Locker and Zero Dark Thirty, uh, than you would get with standard typical action movies. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Katie, huh? Biggs. Katie Biggs. Katie Biggs. All right, everybody. It's time to talk about BetterHelp. Yeah, it is. Yes, it is. It's BetterHelp time, baby. I keep hearing about people. Sorry, it, it actually makes me a little emotional. I keep hearing about people that have listened to us or have watched a few videos where we've had BetterHelp integrations, and it takes them sometimes a long time, but they end up signing up. And they end up thanking us and they end up 
thanking, you know, the service and everything. And that, that touches me deeply um, because I know you hear us talk about this service quite a bit, uh, but it's because we appreciate it and we support it and we are all the way behind it. I use it. A lot of us use it. Uh, so anybody that does get this message, it gets through and you're like, all right, I'm just going to do it right now. Uh, thank you guys for hearing us. And uh, I, I guarantee you, you can get something out of it, especially given what you put into it. Uh, BetterHelp is a great service, folks. Listen, I think one of the things that's hard for me individually is uh, that sometimes people misunderstand our video content, right? Or don't like mm. us, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. That's not easy for me. Uh, it's one of the things that drives my anxiety is that I've always wanted everybody to like me. So, so naturally I started a YouTube channel <laughs> called everything wrong with, um, but uh, you know, this has been such a good match at better help and, and our podcast, because we've always been very open about mental health and therapy. And um, it's always been an important issue to us, even before better help came along. And um, you know, we like, to advertise products that we use and you know the more we use this product the more value we see and i think all the stuff that we deal with online i'm not the only one that gets some of that um you know it's all worth it to me if one person starts going to therapy uh, because that means we will have impacted one person's life for the better and that is a feeling that likes on a video could never bring uh, and so when we do get these notes from people that Barrett's talking about, we, we take it to heart. It makes us tear up. It means a lot. It really does because I know how much it can help. And the fact that BetterHelp offers you a way to do therapy your way from home, uh, if you want to do on video, if you want to do text, uh, it, it, you have options and you don't have to get in your car and drive anywhere. And it's just been a really good fit. And we're really big fans. BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Sincast. Gets you 10% off your first month. Uh, Jeremy said it best, man. It is a virtual counseling uh, service that employs uh, licensed professional counselors. Uh, mine could not be better and could not have helped me more uh, since I've been using this. So go to BetterHelp.com slash Sincast. And uh, thank you, Slade, or, or, or don't thank us at all. But, but do it. Just sign up. Well, uh, let's go to our recommends and warns then. Totes amazeballs. They're great. It won the Academy Award. Oh, for what? For best movie ever made. Ooh, anyone burning? Anyone burning? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and warn a movie that Jeremy, a couple of nights ago, uh, brought up. Um, oh, no. Yes. <laughs> the movie is called Endings, Beginnings. Oh, uh. Um, and, uh, it's one of those, you know, typical, you know, Jeremy, <laughs> um, it has its charms. I will say, um, <laughs> two in particular, that's right. Uh, <laughs> um, no, he, it, it's a typical, you know, Jeremy movie that he somehow, somehow, some way saw this movie, like found it. I don't know how I, it's on HBO max. Um, uh, <laughs> you, 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 you watch movies like this. This is one of those movies where you're like, 
how did they get people to want to make this movie? <laughs> how did they, how did they pitch this? Like if I'm an executive and then, and they're like, well, this is about this woman who breaks up with her boyfriend and, uh, and then moves in with her sister and, and her husband. And, uh, she wants to, uh, try to find a job in the art community and she needs to be alone. But, but the problem is she runs into both Sebastian Stan and Jamie Dornan, mm. uh, at this party. And, uh, and they're, they just so happen to be friends. Uh, but we never once see them uh, together. To actually, one maybe one scene we see them together talking in this movie, and uh, and uh, you know, and basically it's going to ruin her plan that she's just going to be by herself and and you know try to find this art job that she just so desperately wants and blah blah blah. I feel like this movie, uh, really, really like, uh, it it loses its own like i don't know what it what it's it's it seems like there's a more interesting uh avenue they could have picked on this because the one really good like thing it touches on in this is that when she's going around looking for jobs she puts on her resume i was here at this place for six months and that's a huge red flag to this to these places that are trying to hire her and everything by the end of this movie, we find out that the reason she was there for only six months was because there was a dude at a party who may or may not have raped her and she doesn't know. Um, and, uh, and she had to leave because that dude was working there. And then, you know, and she actually, you know, eventually goes and calls HR and says, you know, I, I worked at this place for six months and I wanted to stay longer, but I couldn't. And here's why that story is the most important part of your story. I feel like, uh, instead they made it about, you know, okay, well I, I'll fuck Sebastian Stan and oh no, wait, I'll fuck Jamie Dorner now. And Oh, who's going to, who's my real boy. Who's my boyfriend out of this and all that. And there's even, and, and, and since this is a Jeremy movie, I'll go ahead and just spoil the whole thing. Awesome. She ends up getting, she ends up getting pregnant and not knowing which guy it is. Yeah. And there's a whole sort of like, uh, you know, there's a whole like story about, you know, like, well, you know, should she have an abortion or whatever? And, I, and, and, and she, she's like, I'm going to have this kid. And then, you know, Sebastian Stan is like, uh, do you know whose, whose baby it is? And, and she goes, it's mine. She's mine. She's my baby. Um, which is a, which is a cool line, but like, it seems like it's lost the plot. Like, I don't feel like this is the, this is the story that they should have pursued in this whole thing. Um, if they wanted to make an erotic drama, I don't know if it made it to that really. Like it's, you know what I mean? Like it's got nudity in it, but it's not like, it's not, I don't know that, that, there's a scene this may get cut out <laughs> this, may get, this may get cut out this is this is so fucking sickening to me uh jamie dorner after like just pile driving her in the bed um he, he uh he like he you can see that they've made a he's makes a concerted effort to pull out 
and 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 and, and he goes, oh, oh, I'm, I'm sorry about that. And then he comes over and gets a towel and says, I need to wipe off all these future babies. Oh. <laughs> 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 That's not good. <laughs> I just I, I it feels like it feels like to me that there was a real story here but they didn't know where to go with that which to me I felt like that was the most important thing was the reason why she left her other her older boyfriend her her boyfriend that she broke up with the reason why she left with him left him the reason why she tried to to move the reason why she did all this stuff like that seems like to be the the more important detail in this. The, that romance thing just doesn't make, it's not devastating that she's dating both of them at the same time. It's there's nothing to it where you're like, Oh my God, she's really like, you know, this is, this is, this is bad for their friendship because you don't give a shit about their friendship. Um, it doesn't matter who, which guy she's with at any time, because it's like, eh, I mean, eh. <laughs> neither of them are good really um again how does this movie get made that's the thing i want to know i want to know what the pitch is that a studio goes yes this is what we will make because this is going to do wonders for us for some reason like there's so many movies out there so many interesting movies out there that don't get made because it's not certain it doesn't check certain boxes how does this movie check the boxes that's what i want to know that it, it, the movies that do get made that they've somehow checked some sort of boxes like it's gotta be it's gotta be like who you know again we go back to this whole thing some some person had an idea and had a friend who's a producer and a producer was like do you think we could maybe conjure up 10 million dollars for this movie yeah sure fuck it i don't <laughs> who cares 10 million dollars is this new um yeah 2019 yeah. i think is when it came out um so i uh <laughs> i i thank jeremy for the for the uh the heads up about this movie uh, and I ended up watching it, uh, cause I had trouble sleeping the other night. So I was just like, all right, I'll just go ahead and watch this bullshit. Uh, and, uh, yeah, uh, that's, that's what was going through my head the whole time. I was like, how did this movie get me? Oh my God. Jeremy, be honest. Did you watch the entire thing? I'm sure I did, but I wasn't all there. <clears throat> You've seen it three times. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm sure it was on the TV for its duration, but I was doing other shit too here on the computer. So. Right, I say. Mm-hmm. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. I've got a uh, a wreck of worn uh, mm-hmm. that I'll make brief because it's a fairly old movie. It's a 2003 movie. And it was prompted by a Reddit post. Um, I've been spending a little more time on the uh, subreddit, the CinemaSense subreddit recently. And I forgot how awesome that community is. 
Very cool. Yeah, We've got like 25,000 mm-hmm. people uh, subscribed to it now. Um, so there was a question on there, a uh, dual question about uh, Rick and Morty and the Mexico trilogy. Uh, the Mexico mm-hmm. trilogy being Robert Rodriguez's um, kind of long running uh, series uh, that includes El Mariachi, uh, Desperado, and Once Upon a Time in Mexico. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And it got me thinking about these because I haven't watched those movies in a long time. So I remember my favorite of them being the last one. Um, so I went back and watched that. I do remember El Mariachi. El Mariachi uh, famously was shot for dirt cheap, I think for like $15 mm-hmm. or something like that. Yep. It was all <laughs> it was, of, it's one of those that always goes across the map. <laughs> they say this and then they say that. Yeah. $7,000 was the figure that I heard for the longest yeah. time, but who knows? Yeah, exactly. And it was all Robert Rodriguez's <laughs> friends. Um, you know, it wasn't, it, it, it weren't professional actors or anything like that, but pretty good movie. Uh, it's a pretty, mm-hmm. especially for how indie it is. You know, this was the early '90s where you, you'd see people like uh, you know Tarantino making his first stuff and Kevin Smith making his first stuff, and uh, it was interesting. Desperado got a lot of press back in the day. I mean, it was huge, and I, for the life of me, I never really understood why. Yes, it was a little Gonzo with all the the weaponry and everything. Yes, Antonio Banderas is super sexy. Yes, Salma Hayek is super sexy, but like it was way overblown in my mind. Uh, I didn't, it was very pulpy. Um, and so once upon a time in Mexico came out really at the height of Johnny Depp's popularity. Uh, this is post pirates of the Caribbean. The first one, um, he's in all of this stuff. He's, this is long before any allegations of abuse and stuff like that. And he is essentially the star of this movie. It's not Antonio Banderas as El Mariachi anymore. Uh, Salma Hayek's dead. And, uh, you know, basically yeah, there's a little Mickey Rourke in there. Uh, there's a little, uh, little other guys in there, but Johnny Depp is basically this movie. And at the time, his performance pissed me off a little bit because it was so over the top. <laughs> it was so mm-hmm. over the top. He's got this thing mm-hmm. where he orders a pork dish in every <laughs> restaurant in this town in Mexico. And, uh, when he gets the, the one that's perfect, he goes back and kills the chef. And I'm like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and he tells Cheech Marin, he's like, you know, this, and Johnny Depp, you know, this, uh, this, this pork dish is so good. I'm going to go back and I'm going to kill that guy. And, uh, and it's just like, what the fuck? And he's a CIA agent and it's just all, it's just all over. The place. Well, and, and there's that over the top line. I think it's to Danny Trejo where he's like, are you a Mexican or a Mexican? That's right. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Uh, but going back and kind of being more removed from, uh, the, uh, the, the performance of the day, because as we've seen, Johnny Depp's performances have gotten even more bizarre (laughs) over the years, especially Mm -hmm. Tim Burton stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, so Mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's a fun movie. Uh, it's not great. If you watch it through the, um, planet terror lens, another Robert Rodriguez, uh, film that was in the grindhouse Mm -hmm. double feature, and you take it for what it is, you'll enjoy it a lot more. Don't go in expecting mm-hmm. Sergio Leone or <laughs> that kind of thing because it ain't that. Even though I think he's trying to do like you know uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, yeah, it's it's a little overcomplicated. It's a little pulpy, uh, but it is fun. It is fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would yeah, I would recommend it. Uh, recommend it. 
but uh, yeah, it's it's fun. It's fun. It's I fun. remember. So mm-hmm. I saw Desperado first, um, even though Me I too. had read mm-hmm. about El Mariachi. And when I watched El Mariachi, I remember thinking, oh, it's the same movie. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it's like Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2, right? <laughs> yeah. And I only saw that the once. I think I saw Desperado again once. And I know I saw Once Upon a Time at least once. But I... Like you, I haven't gone back to him in forever. Um, I don't, I don't know that I will, um, but I'm intrigued to at least see a few minutes of this Johnny Depp performance, just because of how you talked about it. It's it's fascinating, and and again, <laughs> when you go back to it, having seen Depp just kind of like go really weird over the last few years, um, it seems muted in comparison. <laughs> it seems charming mm-hmm. in comparison. And I have to say, mm. I, I am not a huge Robert Rodriguez fan. I like more about like what he's trying to do than I actually like what he does. It's almost like Justin Timberlake mm-hmm. for me. Like I don't, yeah. I don't love his music, but I love everything about him. Uh, but mm-hmm. I, this is probably my favorite movie uh, from him. Maybe from um, Dust Till Dawn. I'm trying to think if, from Dust Till Dawn. I'm trying to think if there's a, a movie aside from From Dust Till Dawn that I really, really like. Do you like the Spy Kids? I mean, no. the first Spy Kids is okay, I guess. Uh, I I didn't like the other two. Who do you um, what? And what? I, I sneezed and said they're terrible. Sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, I should be less subtle. Um and uh and you know you have the you have Alita Battle Angel which is okay. Oh, that is good. Yeah. I don't I don't like Sin City at all. <laughs> um. I never saw the machete uh, uh, full length. Those are feature. fun. Yeah, Alita. That was um, good. I'll I'll pick that one. Yeah, and uh, he did the faculty, which I haven't seen in forever. Um, I loved but, it when it came uh, out. Though. It's the same yeah. movie as teaching Mrs. Tingle and disturbing behavior and like every late nineties movie. But this one has a synthetic street drug inside of hollowed out ink pens. <laughs> And I think that makes it totally different. <laughs> Is that where they're aliens? Yeah. Aliens, right? Yeah. Well, they're yeah. like body snatcher aliens. Yeah. <laughs> exactly what Barrett was saying. That's it's just like all those other fucking movies. Yeah, that came out at that time. Uh, it might be the best one though. That's actually out of that yeah, group. probably so. Probably so. So maybe I do oh, like yeah. his his stuff better more than I thought. There's a great John Stewart role in that movie. There is. Um, yep. Yep. I uh, I'm gonna start with a warn. Uh, warn. I'm just gonna. Uh, I'm gonna go with a warn. Uh, this is a 2012 movie called The Words. Ever heard of it? Ooh. Me neither. Oh. I have heard of it. Shit. In fact, when you when you wrote the name down, I thought for sure I may have even seen it. But I read the synopsis on this thing, and I was like, mm, no, no, I did not see For the this. record, don't try reading the Wikipedia synopsis. It's 95 paragraphs long. Um, <laughs> this movie. I don't never understand. <laughs> I don't either, man. I just need three paragraphs. Give me, give me the gist. And yet, when they write, when people write these long Wikipedia things in, in the plot synopsis and everything, they sometimes miss really important things. Like they if do. I wanted, like sometimes I'll be watching a movie and I'm like, wait a minute, why is this the, th- why are they doing this? And you go to the Wikipedia thing. You're like, Oh, surely they wrote every detail there. And it's like, they just like gloss over it as worse than the movie does. Yeah. <laughs> Saving uh, private Ryan has like 
12 words for the, <laughs> the song. I'm going to give yes. you the cast here real quick, the main hitters, because you will, I think, be saying, like, with Chris's movie, um, how did this get made? Dennis Quaid, Jeremy Irons, Bradley Cooper, Zoe Saldana, uh, Michael McKeon, J.K. Simmons, Olivia Wilde. Wow. Damn. This is a movie about a guy. Okay, I'm just going to give you the plot. This movie's boring and sucky, and I watched out of pure, unadulterated, morbid curiosity. It opens with Dennis Quaid reading to a lecture hall from his own book, a bestseller. All right. But as he reads, it switches to uh, Bradley Cooper, who is playing the character in this book. All right. Um, <clears throat> there's really no reason for this narrative structure except for the stupid ending, which I'll uh, ruin. Um, <clears throat> nice. So Bradley Cooper is a struggling writer and he gets a job at a publishing house so that he can, you know, pitch books, but he's like a mail clerk. But apparently that's a thing in the movie that people do. You get a job on the end of the totem pole at a publishing house if you're a writer, and eventually you can slip your manuscript to somebody. Seems like long odds to me and maybe a good way to lose your job, but apparently this is how it's done. Uh, but he, he uh, keeps getting rejected every time he submits his stuff because he's no good. He's literally, I'm, I'm assuming, just a terrible writer, but uh, he tortures himself over his writing. So he marries his girlfriend, Zoe Saldana, and they go on their honeymoon to Paris. And they happen to love antiquing in Paris, as one does. So they end up in this antique store, and he picks up, I swear to God, the scene is, cuts to them inside the store and he picks up an old leather briefcase and she walks up and says, I'm buying it for you. I'm like, what the fuck is happening? Um, so they go back home <laughs> and he's hating himself for being a shitty writer. And uh, as one does, goes digging through this briefcase. Maybe there's a secret compartment um, behind the fold. There is. There's a whole manuscript of a book in there that somebody wrote and left there. And never published, and it's an awesome book. It's amazing. Mm. And so, what does Bradley Cooper decide to do? He decides to type this book up word for word on his computer on his computer just to feel what it's like to write a bestseller. <laughs> by by retyping, he's literally just oh typing something God. somebody else wrote because he thinks. And this is an important plot point because. He wants to feel what it's like to write something good, even though he's not writing. It makes no fucking sense at all. So <clears throat> he files it away and goes back to his shitty life, delivering mail and then uh, getting rejected. Only one day, his wife goes snooping on the laptop. Uh -oh. And what does she find? <laughs> A book. She knows he's been writing. He's never shown her anything. She's going to read it because that's what you do. And she, of course, loves it because it's an awesome book. And then she pushes her husband, Bradley Cooper. You have to submit this. You have to submit this. You have to submit this. And Bradley Cooper, being a fame whore, decides to submit it <laughs> as his own book. And, of course, the publishers love it. They want to publish it ASAP. And it goes on to be a bestseller. And he's a famous writer now. <clears throat> and one day he's on a bench at the park. And Jeremy Irons sits down. And through... <laughs> 
one of the longest scenes in the history of cinema. Has he met Jeremy Irons at this point, or no. is Jeremy? No. Well, we have the viewer has <laughs> Jeremy Irons. Sits down. The viewer has um, because Jeremy Irons plays both the writer of the original book and plays the flashback of the character in the original book when Bradley Cooper is reading ah, it. So we've met him that way, but Bradley Cooper has not. And in one of the okay. longest scenes in history, he says, basically, um, I'm going to tell you a story about a guy who wrote an awesome book and the piss ant who's found it and published it as, as his own. And Bradley Cooper's like, oh, no, now I'm going to be tortured for 30 minutes of the movie because I have guilt. Um, <laughs> oh, it's no. like limitless, only with limits. Um, <laughs> and um, he, <laughs> he eventually gets so tortured, uh, he tells his wife. Um, and Jeremy Irons just wants to punish him. He doesn't want credit. He doesn't want money. He won't let Bradley Cooper do anything for him. He just wants to punish him for his soul. Um, and the story is that Jeremy Irons, when he was younger in the war, met and married a French lady in Paris and they had a kid, but their kid died and that caused them to break mm. up. And then he wrote this beautiful book. And when she read it, after he sent it to her, she was so moved. She decided to get back together with him and took the train to meet him. And they reunited, and she left the fucking briefcase on the train, and it was yeah. gone forever. Gone forever, <laughs> I tells you. Gone forever. <laughs> Finally, Bradley Cooper tells his publisher, um, I didn't write this book. Of course, the publisher's worried about a lawsuit. He finally convinces Jeremy Irons to help him, you know, work together to try and re reprint the book with his name on it, give him credit, what have you. Jeremy Irons dies. Um uh, remember Dennis Quaid? <laughs> yeah, I remember. So, so Dennis Quaid uh, is then basically confronted by Olivia Wilde, who's in the audience. Yeah, yeah. And um, <laughs> she's like, I think your book is true. And you stole it from some other old guy who actually wrote it. And they never really say yes or no. The end. <laughs> <laughs> Don't waste your time, people. Yeah. It's interesting. I, it, it, this movie on the IMDb, and I know ratings are, uh, you know, a thing that we we can't quite condense uh, into. Well, is this a good movie or not? But uh, seventy five thousand votes on this movie. It's got a seven point So people do like this. You know what? Um, I've seen this. <laughs> oh no! Oh yeah. <laughs> no. As you were describing this plot and the actors, I was like. I've totally seen this movie and well, I watched it with my wife uh, probably a couple of years ago and I felt the same way. It's just so right, well, it's, long and boring. It's a like, 24 ah. on Rotten Tomatoes. So just, you know, take that. Yeah. That's IMDb such a weird uh, discrepancy. Like that's such a weird discrepancy. Yeah. Like even the audience didn't like it when it came out. There's just a lot of attractive people in there between Olivia Wilde and Bradley Cooper and Zoe Saldana. Well, and to and just, just sort of um, like uh, go a long way to saying that this movie might not be good. Barrett just said it was so long and it's an hour and 42. Minutes. Oh, God. Well, I'll tell you what. I am terrible about judging those because I felt like Once Upon a Time in Mexico was fucking long, but it's just over 100 minutes. I'm like, Jesus mm -hmm. Christ. Sometimes movies are like that, yep. man. So even, even, 
even enjoyable movies sometimes yep. you're like god this is taking forever and then some movies are three hours and you're just like whoa where did the time how go? long was like, uh, wow. the words again uh hour and 42 Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah it's not long at all uh with credits it's probably an hour and 36 I tell you what, no, you're absolutely right about that scene in particular. (laughs) That one where Jeremy Irons sits next to him and just decides to torture him. You're like, you're legitimately going, is he ever going to tell him who he is? God damn, this is taking forever. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right. uh, I'm going to recommend a very, very, very light documentary called The Last Blockbuster. I don't know if you guys. I haven't. I want to though. It looks. It's. I, I'm all about this kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's a. It's a nostalgia trip, and it's. It's interesting to. Uh, to to see. There's this one blockbuster that's in Bend, Oregon. I was kind of interested uh, in this being the last blockbuster, quote unquote, because a year or two ago, I remember there being talk about there being a couple left in Alaska. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, uh, John Oliver did a thing where he sent a bunch of Russell Crowe memorabilia to one of them. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, uh, you know, to, to help them out or whatever. And then, and, and, in this documentary, it's like, nope, all, even all those have closed at this point. Now it's just this one in Bend, Oregon. Um, and it goes through the, the history of blockbuster, how it started, uh, you know, uh, what decisions they had to make at the time. And there's a, there's, I guess there's a bit of an argument as to whether blockbuster really did, uh, start going out of business because they weren't doing, uh, Netflix things, um, or trying to compete with Netflix or if it was just because of uh, a lot of other financial things that were happening around that time. I think some of the people who worked at block, who worked in the corporate blockbuster uh, seemed to blame the, uh, the financial uh, crisis in 2009 uh, for all this. And um, so, uh, or 2008, I guess. Um, And, uh, and, but it's really focused on this one store in Bend, Oregon, and it shows the people who work there. It's this one woman who's basically like worked at this one blockbuster for 15 to 20 years or something like that. I don't know how long it's been, maybe longer, maybe 25. Um, and, uh, and you know, the, there's people who still, you know, come out and, and rent videos, you know, it's, it's a, it's a weird thing to think about in this day and age there's people who, but of course, now that you know that this one store has become such a media darling there's people coming from all over <laughs> sure, yeah. to to want to to this one blockbuster but it's a lot of celebrities and everything talking about what they used to do with uh you know what with their trips to blockbuster and like you know how they would plan a date night and how they would do this and that talking to workers and all the things that they would do when they were working in a blockbuster uh, you got Kevin Smith in here. You got uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's in here. Not Joseph Gordon-Levitt. It's not him. Shane West. Uh, <laughs> Shane. <laughs> Devin Sawa. <laughs> uh, Iona Sky. Um, Brian Pussain. Doug Benson. Doug Benson is is pretty well featured in this. Uh, Paul Shear, uh, Jamie Kennedy, um, uh, Lloyd Kaufman, who uh, runs Troma, 
Oh. has a really fun has a really fun rant about blockbuster in this he does not like blockbuster one bit so it's a it's a fun thing to uh, for to uh see what he says about the whole blockbuster thing but uh, uh adam brody is in this um and lauren lapkus is uh is the narrator and sh- shows up a couple of times but anyway it's an hour and 26 minutes it's a light documentary if you grew up in the age of blockbuster uh, and uh, in the days where you had to actually drive to a place and get a physical cassette and and, uh, and to, to watch your movies and everything, it's fun. I think some people go a little too goddamn overboard about their nostalgia about these video cassettes, though. <laughs> uh, there's one guy who's like, he's like, oh, it was so fun to, to close that case and hear that snap Fuck and you. everything. And it's like, okay, look. We've we've gone too far. Yeah. We've gone too far with this nostalgia when we're talking about how great it was. Like when I had an orgasm closing the 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 case of my of my video cassette. And like because we all know that didn't happen. So um, anyway, uh, it's it's uh, it's it's good. I would I would recommend it. I worked at Blockbuster for a while. How long did you work yeah, there? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I worked at three different ones. Uh, in college, I worked at the one in Kankakee, Illinois, for roughly eight days. Um, uh, the second <laughs> time I tried to switch with somebody else so I could go to a concert, I was fired. Ah. <clears throat> Unceremoniously, <laughs> because I didn't, I didn't care enough about the job, even though it was fucking counting crows, man. I had to go. Um, <clears throat> and then uh, after Mr. college. Mr. Jones and me. <laughs> <laughs> I worked at a blockbuster uh, down in um, Fort Oglethorpe, Georgia, which is near Chattanooga. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a guy there who had a scam that he would break PlayStations. And then the company would have to order a new one because we rented out PlayStations. And for whatever reason at the time, the policy was throw that broken shit out in the dumpster. And then he would go collect all the broken PlayStations from the dumpster and take them to the local guy, fix-it man, electronic shop, and say, make me a whole working PlayStation out of all these parts. It's quite the scam. He did it three times. Hmm. Uh, yeah, and man. then um, uh, I went to Inglewood uh, um, in East Nashville. When I first moved there, before I worked at Hollywood 27, I worked at that blockbuster for probably six months. Nice, nice. Doing only mm-hmm. appropriate things in that block. I was yes, I was by then I was assistant manager. So, you know, we I had to I had to I had keys to places. I uh, mm-hmm. I had two <laughs> diametrically opposite experiences at my local blockbuster in Green Hills. The first one was where my older cousin was working there and he would give me all my shit for free. I'd just get up there and he'd just like Thank you, sir. You know, and, and basically, you know, go along your way, which was awesome because I could write, you know, I was underage. And at that time, Blockbuster was pretty hard on carding you for rated mm-hmm. R movies, which mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. up to me now. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it, it was the, the case then. So I could get whatever the fuck I wanted. Obviously, they didn't have any porno, but uh, you could get close. You could get Flesh Gordon or something like that out of there. Um, mm-hmm. And then so he left. I keep going back to my local Blockbuster. I'm 16, something like that. Can't rent uh, rated R movies. So I borrowed my buddy's account. And uh, mm. sometimes I didn't have his card on me. So, they, you know, they could look it up and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're like, what's the last name? And it just happened to be his last name was Schaeferknocker, 
Nice. And <laughs> and and so they were like, "Can you spell it?" And I was like, "No, <laughs> I don't. I don't know." <laughs> This is supposed to be my last name. I should be able to rattle this shit off. No time. And I butchered it. I was like S seven Q three something like that. And I like that's so Man. awesome. That's a, so you've seen that Simpsons, right, Barrett? The the one where Homer is uh, he sent a package to to Mister Burns that he doesn't want him to see. And, uh, and so he goes to the post office and dresses up, puts the mustache on and a top hat and shit like that. And he goes, hello. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He's like, hello, I believe you have a package for me. It's under Mr. Burns. He goes, okay. Uh, okay. Mr. Burns, what's your first name? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Man, I was completely hosed in that moment. I was like. You got me. <laughs> That's amazing, man. In, in college, when I worked at a three a three screen, um, I had the sweetest get up set up with the Family Video store manager. Family Video was a blockbuster competitor that was in many ways superior. Not we didn't jerk each other off. No, um, oh. <laughs> I would give him free movies at the theater, and he would give me free rentals at the video store, and that was a win win, baby. And oh, so and they had porn, about- right? I don't know. I wasn't renting that at that point. Family I video? Know. I think they did. I was going to a Christian university. I wasn't, I wasn't trying to, like, I mean, I would have watched it. But no, we were, this was like the, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, Josh and I would rent movies every week. We'd get three movies every weekend for free and then just binge. Almost always bad movies. Like, let's find the first movie Ben Affleck's ever been in. And we found it. It's awful. <laughs> Isn't it School Ties? <laughs> Mm, well, maybe that's the first one he was ever in. It's a, I think it was called oh, Glory no. Days with first a Z. Point. Oh, shit. <laughs> that sounds right. <laughs> wow. Let me see. That may not have been his first. 1995. I'm right about the title. Hey, French Stewart is in this. <laughs> this movie was awful. Um, a lot of people are in that. <laughs> He's in Field of Dreams, uncredited. Wow. Yeah, it's not his first because he, yeah, like stuff like that. And then he was apparently on um, in school ties before that. Days to confuse. He was a child actor. He was in a movie in 1981. Huh. Yeah, this is the same oh, year he made Mallrats. So. But well, anyway, that was one of the movies we read it that we were like, that was terrible. Let's do it again. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. It's time to talk about Clear VPN. Clear VPN, folks. Uh, okay. I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, I've never used a VPN before. Uh, I knew what it was, <laughs> but uh, like, I never took advantage of what a VPN is because I just kind of do my normal internet stuff. So I downloaded clear VPN, uh, C L E A R uh, VPN. And it's got this wonderful interface to it. It's got this, uh, this thing that comes up and it's got shortcuts to different things. So you go to a VPN, which essentially, uh, kind of, puts you in a different place virtually. Uh, And it's got little shortcuts where you can watch Oscar movies. You can watch Netflix and other streaming services from different countries, which has different content available. You can watch sports on different platforms uh, internationally. Uh, It's very, very cool, man. And so now I am a VPN convert 
And I got to tell you, ClearVPN is smooth. It's fast. It's effortless. It's secure. You can hide your uh, IP address. Uh, you can access any content, secure your online interactions. Uh, and, of course, our audience, movie fans, you can uh, go to the shortcuts for Netflix and HBO and be able to look at the premieres and new content there. Uh, they've even got one for Best Picture nominees for the Oscar. So, now that you've heard me talk about it and gush about it and and lose myself over it, you know you want it. You know you want. You know you want it. Go to my.clearvpn.com/sincast. Here's what you're gonna get, folks. You can get 25% off a premium account. Get you a premium account that gives you. The, the whole kit and caboodle, right? And they've got this cool thing where you can do a monthly or you can do a yearly or you can do a, a two yearly, <clears throat> but it's 25% off my.clearvpn.com slash syncast. Uh, it's the only VPN that you need. Uh, go ahead and try it now. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on my uh, uh, Warren because we've talked about this movie before, but I did watch Moulin Rouge again, or I, I should mm. say I watched get you, get 40%... You of Moulin Rouge, and then I got a fucking headache because that movie is so loud and so manic, I cannot it take is. it. It's I can't not, not wrong. take it. I can't. Not wrong. I can't. Uh, Biles Lerman is Can just not my, my kind of guy, all right? <laughs> I, I, I think The Great Gatsby is my favorite uh, movie from him. Oh, you take that. And that's saying something. I can't take Romeo plus Juliet. I can't take Moulin Rouge. I just can't do it. Uh, I, I said a record warm because there is something it, it, he's definitely just said, I'm going to fucking go for it. And I respect mm-hmm. that, but I can't mm-hmm. hang. I can't hang with that, man. It's like taking meth and then snorting some Adderall off a hooker's ass or something. It's just too much. Mm. It's too much. Does it have to be off the hooker's ass? Absolutely. Absolutely. Oddly, I know okay. exactly what that feels like. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> um, anyway. I uh, I'm I, I may be in the minority here because I love this movie, and I know what you're talking about because it is one of those crazily edited, especially super lavish and yelly type movies. Uh, uh, Baz Luhrmann really liked him some John Leguizamo yeah. for some reason, and Leguizamo is one of those performers who will just go all out for you and it even as annoying as it gets you know he'll he'll, he'll do that. i mean he, he plays that you know toulouse lautrec uh you know whatever and it's just <laughs> but they just keeps he he does like he does a lot of like hyper editing and everything like that but i've uh, i've always really liked this movie um and i haven't seen it probably in a couple of years maybe two or three years now but uh every time i i pick it back up i get right back into it it's one of those movies yeah that uh that that uh it can do no wrong now uh every time i watch it i'm like yep i like this scene i like this scene i like this scene i like all that stuff so my wife came in yesterday and uh talent mr ripley was on and whenever we order food i mute the tv and then we focus on the computer while we place an order (laughs) and she walked in she goes you watch this movie a lot. And I said, every time I see this movie on the guide, I stop and watch it every fucking time. It's just become one of those movies for me. I understand. Um, <clears throat> all right. I'm going to make a, a recommend because uh, I'm very rarely lately been full throated in a positive direction. And this is not a new movie. And I've even talked about and praised this movie before, but I watched it again recently. And I 
can't say enough good things about it. It is 2011's Warrior with Joel mm-hmm. Edgerton, mm-hmm. Tom Hardy, and Nick Nolte as the primary, and Frank Grillo's in there a lot too. Um, this is directed by Gavin O'Connor, who may be a name you don't recognize, but he has now directed two of the best sports movies of all time with Warrior and Miracle, the hockey film with uh, oh, interesting. Uh, Kurt Russell. Um, mm-hmm. He also directed um, The Accountant with uh, Ben Affleck uh, and The yeah. Way Back with Ben Affleck. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. uh, he is uh, not a nobody. Uh, and Warrior is about mixed martial arts and two brothers from completely different points in their lives, uh, both uh, dealing with trauma from childhood in different ways, uh, and both end up contestants, both have completely different uh, fighting styles. Um, and I, I'll i be honest, and please don't take offense at this, I could give a rat's ass about mixed martial arts in general. Mm-hmm. I could give a mm-hmm. rat's ass about boxing. I have a good friend who's really into both. And so I've seen plenty of both, uh, but I don't care. I don't care about it. And you're not going to reel me into your movie by, ma- by making it about mixed martial arts. What reeled me into this movie was somebody, I think it was Dicer or Chris saying, no, that's an A plus. You should watch it. And so I did. <clears throat> I don't really want to spoil too much of the plot, even though it's a 10 year old movie. Um, because I really think the journey of each brother is kind of the point. Uh, and you don't have that amazing ending in the ring um, if you don't sort of go on their journeys with them. But suffice to say, their father was an asshole, Nick Nolte, uh, when they were kids. One of them left, the other one didn't. Uh, neither one of them had it really great being apart from each other. Um, and this movie's about healing pain, man. It's not as much about mixed martial arts as it is dealing with the trauma in your life and dealing with your own decisions. Tom Hardy's character has different turns as both a hero and bad person, depending on how you view his actions uh, in the past via the flashbacks. I don't know if you guys, have you seen this Barrett? Mm -hmm. Yeah. They got all Um, uh, swole for this, right? Like both of them, Edgerton and and Hardy got like, fucking yeah ripped they're genuinely beefed mm-hmm. up for this uh and i honestly think you could put i don't want to name names but you could put two you know c-level actors in these roles and make this movie and it would probably be solid decent but it's the acting of these two guys that really pulls you in and tom hardy hardly says anything the whole movie like most of his performance is silent quiet um anyway i just i can't say enough about it um i really think uh everyone would dig it uh, and i hope you will watch it i recommend two thumbs up <laughs> it's yeah. uh an 8.2 on the imdb by the way wow. this movie wow and um, a 83 on rotten tomatoes and available on hulu yeah i haven't seen it since the thursday night uh before it came out uh, oh, watching wow. it at hollywood 27 uh i need to rewatch it um uh, but I do remember uh, afterwards thinking, man, that was a fucking good movie right there. Yeah. Um, what if they so, put Jai Courtney <laughs> what and, what and, and the other guy that looks like Jai Courtney and Tom Hardy? <laughs> the best. They should. They should. I'll tell you what, who steals this movie in one scene is Kevin Dunn. He plays the principal at the school where Joel Edgerton works. And in the beginning of the movie, Joel Edgerton is doing underground mixed martial arts for extra money because he can't make enough as a teacher 
and he gets found out and the school fires him. Um, Kevin Dunn fires him. But by the end of the movie, Kevin Dunn is like the dad in that thing you do. He's come full circle and he's watching the fight on TV and he's jumping up and down going, he did it, he did it, oh my God, he did it. <laughs> and it's heartwarming as fuck. Um, to recap, uh, Barrett recka-warned once upon a time in Mexico, the Robert Rodriguez movie. That's a part of his Mexico trilogy. Uh, he also wreck warned Moulin Rouge. I piggybacked a recommend on Moulin Rouge. Uh, at this point, you, uh, at this point, you either know about Moulin Rouge or you don't. You're an <laughs> asshole. Um, uh, Jeremy, uh, warned the words of Bradley Cooper thieves, Jerry, Jeremy Irons book. Uh, movie uh and he recommended warrior a uh, really really good movie uh that i need to rewatch myself um i warned endings beginnings uh shailene woodley <laughs> and future babies <laughs> future babies future babies she says it's creepy right after that and i'm like yeah nobody ever would say that in the ever ever Jesus. And I recommended uh, the last blockbuster, the documentary about uh, the last one, the last uh, blockbuster rental video, video rental place in the entire United States in Bend, Oregon. I'm going to watch that documentary about that. All right, let's start with this one. So questions. Uh... Question. Question. I got something to say. I'm listening. I always admire when actors take a role that requires them, him or her, to play a terrible person, particularly when the actor is asked to humanize that person. What is a movie role that you admire an actor for taking? Uh, this person's answer would be Michael Fassbender in 12 Years a Slave. God, that mm, is a great mm. example. He is a terrible character in that movie. <laughs> for sure. Um um uh samuel l jackson and Django unchained is uh mm -hmm. one of those uh, mm. uh characters uh you know it, it i think it's it's easy to do the villainous stuff but there i mean this is a testament to tarantino as well uh you can see the you know how much of a facade it is but also how much it is you know it, it's a part of his daily life to be this way and Django Unchained and everything and be that, you know, uh, what would you call his character? Like an uncle Tom character, right? Like, um, um, that, that type, I mean, they, to play that kind of character is, is, is tough, especially considering, uh, you know, how people, um, uh, read into your characters and they think you are that and everything on the street mm -hmm. <laughs> and that type of thing. That's the type of thing I worry about when people play villains like this is that somebody's like, you know, um, Robin Williams and in insomnia. Yeah. Uh, you, yeah. Could, you could equally apply that to one hour photo. Cause he did that in the same year. Um, the, you know, Robin Williams had done a lot of dramas before, uh, but I don't know if he'd ever been the bad guy in anything before mm -hmm. uh, this. And he could have continued uh, uh, being the good guy or being the comedy guy or whatever. But uh, I think it was, uh, I, this is something most actors at the top of their game won't do when they're known for being the good guy so many times. I don't know why. I mean, I feel like a lot of these people like Tom Hanks and Will Smith and everybody could be a bad guy and it wouldn't, we wouldn't flinch. It's not like, 
we think any less of them or anything. But maybe they think that same way about people on the street and stuff like that. Well, people I'll tell you street, what, people, people still yell, people still yell bitch at Aaron Paul every time they see him. And I just read yesterday <laughs> yeah. that people come up to Sebastian Stan all the time and chant the phrase that's supposed to like, <laughs> like hypnotize him. Um, and so, yeah, but I just thought of one that wasn't on my list that I'm going to put, and I hope Barrett didn't write it down, but it's, uh, and uh, honestly, everyone should be commended for playing characters in this movie because this movie shouldn't have been made, but it's uh, Stanley Tucci and the lovely bones. Um, (laughs) it's like, Hey, Stanley, we've got a movie about a dead girl's ghost. Who's kind of like watching her live still living family. She was kidnapped and well, we don't go into much detail about what happened to her, but it was a creepy guy who kept her bracelet and sweats all the time. We want you to play that guy. What do you think? And, you know, I, I can't watch that movie. I watched it once. I won't watch it again, but I do commend him for taking the role. Should not have been made. It's like, that's a, that's a book that was written to be a book forever because of the way it is uh, structured. It's all narration yeah throughout it's a it's this it's this girl's ghost talking about all this stuff all throughout the whole book yeah so like when you turn it into something that's and it's not then it turns into something like super creepy and gross and well they offered know, that role to mark Wahlberg, and he said no another one another one i thought of is for a different reason is steven seagal and executive decision um because this is at the height of his Seagalness. He'd made Above the Law, Hard to Kill, Merc for Death, Out for Justice, Under Siege, On Deadly Ground, Under Siege 2. And then he makes a movie mm-hmm. where he dies in the first 10 minutes. Now tell me mm-hmm. how uh, that had to be an ego pill to swallow, right? Because the next movie he makes is he's back at it. It's the Glimmer Man. And then he makes Fire Down Below and Exit Wounds and The Patriot. And he was the star of these movies. And Mm-hmm. executive decision sets him up to be the star of this crew that's coming to rescue the plane and then he dead and although i don't know if it really does because the trailers showed that part where he's like they did uh yeah where he where he ejects himself uh away from kurt russell and and uh you know is, and you're not that. gonna make it you are and he and they did it right at the end of the trailer i still so, think it's big of him uh, to take that role at that point in his career no i agree i agree i agree totally uh to to, to do that uh, and it also you know we are we are built to not believe what we see in a trailer like that we're believe we we're, we're we expect him to just show back up yeah. in that movie by the end of it but he doesn't he fucking no, dies he's dead. <laughs> i'm gonna piggyback on django unchained and uh one of the most loathsome villains is calvin candy uh leo dicaprio's character in django unchained yeah and it's weird because it's been so giffenized uh you you had my attention or no you had my interest and now you have my attention and like, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, him him raising the glass and everything. That character is absolutely irredeemable and loathsome. The stuff that he does absolutely. is just absolutely unforgivable. Uh from the begin from his intro until the way he uh treats Carrie Washington's character. 
Uh, mm -hmm. It is it is hideous, and I'm I'm glad he's dead. To paraphrase Jack Nicholson, <laughs> I'm glad you're dead. <laughs> but man, but, I, but I'm trying to figure out if he'd ever been a villain before this movie. Um, uh, I'm trying to think. I, of certainly not on this level. Uh, I mean, no, you've got to be. But I'm, real. I don't know if he's ever been a. I don't think he's ever been a bad guy. Period. Until this, probably um, not. Probably not. Because and then and then you could also you could say he kind of was I believe late later in Wolf of Wall Street even though he's he's still the main character in that movie so it's it's hard to tell whether or not the movie thinks he's a bad guy I think he is but uh, you know it's it, it's but I don't think he's ever been that that villain like that before uh, before this so that that's another reason why it's so like it's brave in a way even though again like I said more actors should do this. I feel. Well, I agree. And, you know, to me, he's the, the, um, the crux of that movie. Um, you know, this movie is so, uh, controversial that this was Will Smith was offered this role, right. Of Django. Yeah. And he turned yeah. it down because it was, it was a little too raunchy and a little too controversial. So yeah. somebody as a list as Leonardo DiCaprio taking certainly, the antithesis of Django <laughs> mm -hmm. taking that role and killing mm -hmm. it uh, is a commitment that, that God bless him. Uh, I commend him, even though that character de de deserves to die. And I hope he burns in hell. <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> funny. The, uh, the Jamie Foxx, uh, I saw a video of him talking about what Tarantino was like as director and everything and saying that, you know, um, yeah, it was one time where he had to pull me aside and kind of, kind of yell at me or whatever. He's like, he's like, we got done with a take, and he's like, uh, Jamie, come here. And he goes, he goes to like a private room somewhere, and he goes, he's like, you come in here, you're just too cool, man. You're just like, you're like you just drove in on in your Porsche, and you've like got you know, you come in there, you know, and 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 you're like, uh, you're too Jamie Fox for this. Like we need to be, we need to be somebody else. And, you're too Jamie Fox. And I do want to mention uh, one of my favorite villains. I know you don't love this movie or even like this movie a lot, but Philip Seymour Hoffman in Mission Impossible Three. Like mm -hmm. his character is so built up by the time we meet him, like he's the most mm -hmm. ruthless person ever and we can't find him and that kind of thing. And yeah. what he embodies is basically that bad. You know how you build up villains and like, it turns out to be Hillary Swank or something like that. And it's like, Oh, <laughs> who cares? Yeah. Uh, this, it, his character <laughs> it was keeper Sutherland all along. <laughs> <laughs> Once he gets on the plane and he's by, by all intents and purposes, he's caught. And he's like, "What's your name?" And then, you know, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna hurt you, and I'm gonna hurt your family. And like, even when like he's held out of a plane, you're like, "This guy is way too dangerous for any of this to be happening." And oh, it's so good. He's so good. Oh, he's he's awesome. You threw me out of a plane. You threw me out of a plane. <laughs> God, it's so good. Anyway, so that's my that's my yeah. commendable villains. Good call. What actor slash celebrity has the best cameo resume? I, I, I know you why you like it. You stole the best answer. Yeah, I think uh, I think you guys have already written the the, the best one. But uh, going back to Samuel L. Jackson again, um, <laughs> that guy has quite a few in his resume. Now, uh, 
I'm cheating a little bit because he wasn't famous when he was in coming to America, right. but that's a cameo. Um, good fellas. He's got a cameo. He is, uh, the DJ and do the right thing. Um, but then, uh, later on we see him in out of sight at the very end of that movie, uh, uh, in the, uh, the, the wagon that George Clooney's in, <laughs> yeah. um, uh, uh he's obviously you know one of the best cameos of all time is at the end of iron man uh uh telling him about shield uh and everything so uh he's got he's got quite a few and of course he's in the the other guys uh for for a brief moment which is you know one of the funniest uh <laughs> exits from a uh from a movie ever uh he's he's he's, and there's probably some i'm i'm not even remembering because he's in 200 something (laughs) he's essentially Uh, a long cameo in deep blue sea (laughs) yeah kind of kind of yeah yeah (laughs) it's true i feel like there's a couple more that are just he's there's there's definitely a couple oh uh, he's at one kill bill volume two he's the piano guy yeah that's right in the church right yeah 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 just before um uh carradine comes in with uh all of his his mates his mates you sound like you're from london (laughs) that's right what you got um uh well you you stole the best answer so it's the best one i know you bastard uh so i'll go with uh scorsese um just because mm-hmm. um, quiz show it would be enough for me to argue his place on the list <laughs> just from that one single cameo. Right he, he loves to cameo in his own movies, but not in ways not in ways that are quite as in your face like M. Night Shyamalan does, um, mm-hmm. where he's more often like the voice or photographer in the background uh, or the passenger and taxi driver. He talked about that, I think, last show. Uh, but he's mm-hmm. in Age of Innocence. He's in The Grifter as a voice. Um, he does a lot of voice work. He was a dispatcher of Bringing Out the Dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's probably my preferred. I think Hitchcock did a lot of background cameos as well, whereas yeah. M. Night seems to write characters that have dialogue and don't necessarily belong in glass um well, Hitch, yeah like, yeah well hitchcock would also uh try to get it out of the way in the first five minutes too. oh i didn't know that another, another big thing was he knew that people would start looking for the cameos so he just started doing them in the first five minutes and you're like oh there he is and then you can watch the rest of the movie <laughs> so says he's also uh a cameo as himself in entourage yeah, yeah, oh, that's yeah. True. He calls. Uh, he that calls. Quiz show, Vinny. That quiz show one though, where he's playing uh, uh, the the Geritol, uh executive yeah. and everything is, is clearly his best all time appearance. And well, Taxi Driver is definitely uh, definitely that. But uh, but uh, you know <laughs> when he's like, "Ooh, what a grueling line of inquiry." Uh, and he tells the tells the lawyer like, "Hey, he tells his lawyers, would you uh, please leave the room? Just take this and leave the room, please." And then he just goes and tells Rob Morrow, like, "Yeah, of course, I knew all this shit was going on. What do you? Well, that's an insult to even think that I wasn't." You know? uh, mine is the best, Matt Damon. Matt Damon. <laughs> okay, mm-hmm. Euro Trip, Jersey Girl. Uh, mm-hmm. he was also in entourage. 
Well, most yeah, most of the ones that you're 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 thinking of are are recent because he's been in a ton of those. That's true. Things. Happy Feet Two. Uh, he is uh, one of the krill with uh, Brad Pitt, which is so crazy. Interstellar <laughs> is a long cameo, but yeah. that's a cameo. Yeah, I would say that's a cameo. And that was a, say that's a well kept secret too. Like I mm-hmm. didn't know yeah, until a couple of years later on. I knew there was a cameo, but I didn't know which one it was. Uh, mm-hmm. Of course, Thor Ragnarok, uh, when he's playing yep. the acting version of Loki, um, <laughs> he's he's in uh, he's in Deadpool two, heavily made yep. up as the redneck mm-hmm. guy, uh, which is funny. He's credited as being Dicky Greenleaf in that movie. Did you oh, know really? that? <laughs> I did not know that. <laughs> So, uh, and then, of course, Jay and Silent Bob strike back and reboot. Uh, he's he's a, a cameo. He and Ben Affleck are, well, Ben Affleck has like three cameos in uh, yeah. <laughs> Jay and Silent Bob. Because he's back. played so many characters in the Viewers <laughs> universe and everything. Uh, Same as Jason Lee shows up as a couple characters. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, he's he's the, the leader, man. And you got to... You got to imagine that this dude is just so much fun to work with. Like he just seems like a like a generally good guy, like a smart guy, talkative guy, um, easy guy to work with, and apparently doesn't have a huge ego because he can cameo in these little things and nobody notices, like in Deadpool too, mm-hmm. and it's awesome. It's awesome. I tweeted oh, about yeah. this, but did I tell you guys about when I was watching Talented Mr. Ripley and after he's killed Freddie? And the inspector shows up and is questioning him in his apartment. Um, <clears throat> the way subtitles work sometimes is when somebody's off camera, the subtitle will tell you who's speaking since you can't see them. And when mm-hmm. Damon's character, who is Ripley, goes to change his shirt in the other room and speaks to the inspector, the subtitles call him Dicky. Oh, and really? <laughs> I just think that's a fascinating choice to make because he is actually <laughs> impersonating Dicky in that scene. Uh, And that's a subtitle person that's paying attention, man. I thought that was fascinating. (laughs) There's a lot of weird things with subtitles. A lot of times I'm like, are you ready to reveal that yet? Oh, yeah. Uh, Yeah. The villain speaks. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) But it also gives you uh, information that the movie itself never gives you, like the names of certain villains and stuff like that. Where they're like, you know, Electra, of course it'd be Electra, you would know, but like it just, you know, it would be a villain and you're like, oh, I didn't even know that's what they were calling this villain in this whole thing. <laughs> um, that's going to do it for this week. Uh, keep going to Syncast presented by CinemaSins on Facebook. We're also on CinemaSins Twitter, Music Video Sins Twitter. We're on Discord and we're on uh, SoundCloud. If you want to get uh, on Discord, you can go to the Facebook and uh yeah the did facebook. you say that's right <laughs> you go to the facebook. I'm, I'm i'm taking the v back <laughs> god damn it social network it'd be funny if they rebranded with all the negative press they're like wait let's go back to the v facebook <laughs> well yeah, yeah it's a lot better for us um but no uh go to facebook and private message me i'll give you a link to discord if you want to get on uh, discord uh that's going to do it for this week it's chris atkins and jeremy scott barrett share we'll see you next time thanks for listening Comment on our episodes on our SoundCloud page. Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. And be sure to visit cinemasins.com. I feel like every time 
I feel like we're in this sort of this sort of group too. If we're not everything to everyone, then we're we're useless to them. Um, if we don't have the exact one hundred percent correct opinions in their uh, in 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 their opinion, um, then you know then we've we've lost them in some way. And, uh, and I don't, I don't know, I don't know how to live like that. I mean, to me, I, I like generally give people chance after chance, after chance, after chance. And then if it's just a regular thing, you know, then it, then you start going, okay, well, I don't need this person in my life, but it shouldn't even get to that point though, because Steven's uh, tweet wasn't even being super ignorant about uh, anything at all i mean mm-hmm. you may think he is because you've got it all you've got all your knowledge and your experiences behind you but all you have to do is say oh well i i i think that it makes sense because blah 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 that's all you have to say you don't have to say you're a piece of shit because you had this opinion and people yeah. take these opinions way too seriously people take an opinion that's like um you know it's it, they, I don't know how you can judge a person's content of character by by a tweet. Like they make that they make it seem like that's a not only are they saying one thing, but there's a giant subtext of things that they're saying that's not even in there. At the absolute worst, that's an opportunity to say, "Oh, interesting. Here's how I saw it." Yeah, and there you go. That's all and you Twitter's have just to do. Never going to be that place. Yeah, that's all you have to do. There's all you have to do. There's absolutely no reason to go and and search for flaws in people's character and think that they're a piece of shit because they said this one thing. Like, really are you really are walking a tightrope these days? Look, I think the whole uh, you know fight against cancel culture and all that stuff is has has a lot of it's is being approached in bad faith in a lot of uh, a lot of areas. But yeah. there are some things where you're sitting there going, my God, if I don't say just the right thing, then I'm going to lose hundreds of thousands of people. Like, and, and with no, uh, you know, I had no idea that it, that it was bad or that it was, yeah. you know. Like Billie Eilish posted a, a doodle she drew in, in high school of boobs and posted it to Instagram and lost 100,000 followers in a day. That's, I mean, it's so. Well, that doesn't make any sense oh, at all. Why? Because it's. I don't. I. I. You tell me. I'm just it's saying. So ridiculous. That's how unpredictable unpredictable it is. Like, there's nothing. Okay, so if I look that. up Billy Eilish boobs. Great. Here we go. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> yep. Why don't you look up drawing instead of? Do you know how to? Right. <laughs> Let me help you. Why? I don't understand why that would. Maybe they're conservatives that liked her music and followed her, but are scared of boobs. Mm, no idea. It's, God bless it's, her. Those are great pretty, boobs. It's pretty ridiculous. What? Those are great boobs. Did you guys uh, see the uh, documentary on her? There's too, too no. many documentaries about famous people right now. I think it's on Apple TV, and I don't think I'm ever going to get Apple TV. No, Apple <clears> TV <throat> can suck me. I have not. Yeah. Um, I have not. I, I got it for, um, uh, I think it was when we got, we wanted to review Greyhound. Yeah, yeah. So I went ahead and, and got it. I mean, <laughs> I looked at how much I pay for streaming, and it's like, okay, I pay a lot of shit for cable, okay? I understand that. You're, you're adding this on top of that. 
I don't pay very much for streaming at all. Streaming is really? nothing. Streaming's nothing. You know, hmm. I mean, it's, it, you know, per month you put Apple in there and you put, you know, Amazon and Netflix and Hulu and all that. It's like, eh, he's right. Yeah, paying about he's 40, right. 50 bucks for all that. Yeah. Not a big deal, but Apple TV, I would, I would say it's not totally fuck this um there ted lasso is a really good show yeah that would yeah, be the tipping point for me i think um and there's something about their interface i, I think they play everything in like some beautiful 4k too so like anytime really? anytime i want to watch a movie it looks better on that than it does on any other thing i mean amazon i guess can do it too but Amazon's gotten weird on my end, at least. Yeah, uh, I don't know. Just everything looks better on the, that Apple TV. I don't know what's going on there. This is up the resolution or something. I don't know. Um, wasn't Apple behind that Will Smith uh, movie that just pulled out of Georgia? Yes. Yes. Anton Fuqua and Apple. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it looked like an interesting movie, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, fuck Georgia, man. I mean, fuck the politicians in Georgia, not fuck Georgia. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> get it inside me so that I, I got can, it. you know, get it inside me. <laughs> and, you know, it's what it, is it, that movie where dude's like, I want you inside me? Um, it's what basketball. Is, basketball. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. So, I mean, this is not nearly as important, but it reminded, it reminds me of, uh, like, like Regal used to do things where they would be like, we want you to, pull this trailer off of a movie and you'd be just like sitting there going fucking why um (laughs) that's a pain in the ass (laughs) yeah yeah i mean and when it was 35 it was a super pain in the ass to do that oh really yeah Yeah, snip snip you have to find it you have to find it in that big huge i mean it's in the it's in the center but you go in around the center and you got to go through the trailers and like you know, snap a snap a splice, find the other splice at the end, and cut it. Pull the trailer out, and then resplice the shit back. And you got to oh, do yeah. that in a twenty-seven plex. You got to do that ten or twelve times. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Fuck that, man. And yes. and you know, it's not like you have great lighting or anything like that. So you're sitting there trying to look for it a bunch of times. You got to, and also when everything was written on a sheet and you didn't have anything, you didn't have a computer to go to, to find out where these trailers are. You have to go to each sheet and go, Oh, I see that it's on this one or whatever. And sometimes people would fuck the sheet up and it wouldn't be in the place where it was supposed to be. Yeah, all that. Gosh. I mean, it's just a fucking nonsense. And you sit there regals like, yeah, we need you to pull this trailer off. Just tell us the goddamn reason. What is that going to do to anything if you tell us, oh, we had a disagreement with this company or or we saw a dick in the trailer and we don't want anybody to see that? I mean, just tell me what the fuck it is. The old trailer dick. All right, everybody. Welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson from CinemaSins. Joined as always by the voice of CinemaSins. Oh, fuck me. That's been a while. (laughs) 